I'm now in my 30th year working to restore nature in forests and on farms, mostly across the north of England. 30 years ago I left the city and my old job behind. I hung up my suit and tie and went off to plant trees. It's a decision I've never regretted. Before we get into season two, we have a couple of special editions of Triamble Podcast for you, both taken on tour this summer. I'm Pete Leeson. Welcome to Tree Amble Podcast Special. Carbon Calling is a lovely weekend conference in Cumbria, organised by farmers, for farmers, and all about regenerative agriculture. I like the regen space because it creates opportunities for more nature, but within a productive farm system. And the farmers I speak to seem to really enjoy farming this way. At Carbon Calling, I met with quite a few voices who are just really inspirational in this space, including Mike from PasturePod, various farmers and we haven't really named them but they're there and they're enjoying it sarah langford the author who's just written a book about her farming experience we meet with irish dairy farmer bruce who's mad about dung beetles niels caulfield on soils and plenty of other voices i really hope you enjoy this episode first we meet mike from pasture pod he's both a podcaster and a farmer and as you can tell, he's a live wire. I'm talking to Mike, Pasture Pod, and you or Michael or Michael. <laughs> we just decided there's there's two there's yeah. two people inside one man. Here. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's and, more than two actually, but yeah. Uh, schizophrenic. <laughs> but somebody else who also does uh, podcasts. Yes, yeah, been doing a lot longer than I have. Yeah, but not as well. <laughs> but. We'll see. But we've we both stood outside Carbon Calling. Yes. In Cumbria. Yeah. Just before the conference starts. Yes. And there's I'm no just... barbecue, uh, unlike as was promised. All right. Okay. But um, that's not a complaint, in case anyone's. And the listening. band is going to be a scratch band as well. We were told there's a band, but actually, it's going to be a few. Of us. Yeah. If I have a few more beers, I'm going to be singing, Peter. Oh, fantastic! Yes, yes I think so. Brilliant. Badly. So you were here last year. I was, yeah. Rabble rousing. Um, <laughs> well, isn't it interesting? Because I thought, um, I think in my old age, you start to give less. Can I swear? You can. Yeah, well, we can. I think you give <laughs> less of a poo poo. Yeah. Than uh, than you used to as yep. a younger person. Yeah. And so I'm interested in not pushing the pushing the barriers makes it sound like I'm a pioneer and it's all positive, but pushing the barriers of real cringe. That's where I'm at. Okay. And <laughs> and last year, uh, you know, is it, you've got time for the story. I'm not sure you can cut this out. Yeah. But uh, last year it was after lunch, after lunch slot graveyard yep. slot. You yep. know. So I was up on the stage and I, 
I had planned this, but I started, you know, everyone was milling about and talking and all of this. So I very softly whispered, pasture. And then I, I left it a wee bit and then I said, pumps. And a wee bit longer. Me. Up. And then people started to, some people started to stop talking and look and then inquisitively or like who is this weird yes i think i saw your face saying that and and then i started to get the you know pasture pumps me up and then by the end everyone was not everyone because there were some people that didn't stand but most people were standing up clapping and chanting and everyone was getting pumped up by pasture one of the happiest moments of my life, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't. I can't do that this year. But well, once once is good. Twice would. Yeah, be, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah that would gimmicky, just, that would it? really be oh, pushing God, the barriers of cringe. It's him yeah. again. Yeah. <laughs> he did this <laughs> last year. Why is it? <laughs> and then invited him back again. Yes. <laughs> um, but, but does pasture pump you up? Because I think I think you're slightly you're slightly not negative about regen farming, but you're spectrum? on the spectrum. No. <laughs> what are you saying? You, well, you're on the you're on the kind of. Regen thing does it really work? Aren't you? Are you are you slightly sceptical or not? No. Look, I have, I I think it's inside me, and I've never quite cracked it, because I have been organic most of my farming career. I've used. I did have a relapse in two thousand and twenty. <laughs> I'd only up to you know I'm a new entrant. It's uh, so a first generation really. Uh, 17 years of farming, I'd used two bags of nitrogen. In 2020, I had a relapse and I just wanted to know what it what it did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wasn't impressed. I wasn't with, impressed. With fertilizer. But, yeah. So, but I've been organic. I've tried compost manures. I've tried herbal lays since 2012. You would think I would be all over the regen thing. And I found Carbon Calling last year so positive. It was yeah. like the most positive conference I've ever been to. It was. And, and I can vouch for that. I was yeah. here with 200 people in a room, yeah, all and, talking to each other and sharing knowledge yeah. and smiling. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And it was, it, that pumped me up. Yeah. But I, I think, I think there's a just, I, Oh, I don't know. It's Maybe like a, it's because I'm a lone wolf. Okay, it's a bit like a religion. It's kind of like if you if you get the book, then you then you then you that's the book. That you're was sold. that was my concern. Yeah. Was once farming becomes a religion, or a former farming becomes a religion, that's when you want to just take a good yeah. look at yourself. Yeah, yeah. And th- that's why I'm slightly edgy about it. And I'm not saying people will be swearing at me. Uh, listen to this, but I'm not saying that's that's defensible or whatever but and I'm just I'm and I've been in knowledge transfer all my working career yeah and it's all about bringing people with you yeah and I would say if I was doing a SWOT analysis of regen farming I would say the threats are being slightly exclusive or Mm -hmm. cliquey Mm -hmm. or it's our club or you know you've got to do x y and z to be in the club and and I, I yeah. You see, I don't, <laughs> I don't feel that. But then maybe I've been here with because I've been with Nick and Paul Renison on their journey. Yeah. And I remember Nick saying to me ten years ago, whenever it was, I don't want any more effing trees on our farm. Yeah. And then they get the bug, and then I yeah. get this call saying, well, actually, we could probably have a hedge. 
and you see, Nick and, 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 Ren- and Renner are like... We've they, been on this journey. Yeah, but they're... The, I'll give you an example, right? So there's a new... Far, there's a new... Uh, oh, I'm going to get in trouble with this as well, but there's a new film coming out. I can't remember what it's called, but it involves Gabe Brown. Right. You know Gabe Brown. Yeah, yeah, Have you read yeah, his book? Yeah. yeah. That was what opened my eyes to a lot of this. Yeah. Right, okay. You see, I read it differently. Yeah. But... Gabe in the in the uh, advert for the far, for the film yeah. is walking along in his normal clothes, but with a red cape, blowing in the wind behind, like he's Superman. Right. Okay. Now come on. Yeah. Come yeah. on. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> this. But it shouldn't. It, but it what, but shouldn't what, have an ego. No, I is agree. what I'm but thinking. But I, I, I'm, I'm not. I'm not feeling that in Cumbria because I'm feeling the love from lots of people who are are trying to change and actually really, really drilling down to what it is they can do. And there's a humility about that. I totally get it. But but what... I suppose what... um, And it's really interesting. I think there's a subgroup of people below the regen... the, the, The proper regen farmers are people that are maybe veering towards agroecological, yeah. organic. Yeah. There's lots of organic farmers that don't quite feel that they're they tick all the boxes. They right. tick a lot of them, mm. but I don't know. I think I just God, I sound a right grumpy old sod. But I I do think I think the point. The point we're talking about really is questioning. You should always question. And, I, and that is what I like about these guys. They're sharing. They all admit their failings. And, I, and I've been to multiple... I've heard multiple speakers say, actually, we got this wrong. We should have done this. We should have... However, they're, they're admitting those failings and they're sharing what they've done. And I think that's so much more ahead of conventional agriculture, which is almost just like kind of like, well, we spray this and we spray that and we talk to this. Yeah, but, um, you know, I've been involved in a lot of farming groups and... There's not me- look the people that come to groups aren't the people that say oh look at look at the size of my appendage you know and it's not pub yield stuff yeah. you know and so people are honest and benchmark and and uh, laugh about their failings it's not that is not again that's not wholly a regenerative farming thing I don't know I just um, Look, I am positive about it. Please don't think I'm not negative about it, but I'm positive about it. But it, it, as, yeah, I just, what am I trying to say? I don't know what I'm trying to say. (laughs) (laughs) But I think that I I do think uh, there is so much good stuff, but also you need to be mindful of your focus and I know holistic management has the three-legged stool with the financial leg mm. which is really important mm. but for new entrants for example and having been in knowledge transfer some of the um, some of the f- you've got to make money first you've got to make it at least something that you can live on mm. and um, and I think you've just got to be mindful of that if you tick that box, do whatever you want. But um, I, I suppose I'm thinking of a new entrant, and, and this is because I've lived through it, of following what someone else has said and going down a dead end or going, going down a, a, a lane which 
isn't quite right for them. They need to tick a, fin a financial sustainability box first, and then, and if you're doing that, that's fine. Call it yourself whatever you want. But in a sense, what you're saying is you've got to learn. You've got to learn yourself. You've got to take yourself down that journey. And, and yeah, but be what but what you said, Peter, is you've got to be critical. Think a critical, critical thinker. thinker. Yes. Yeah. Don't just lap it all up. Yeah. As that, that as I think that's what I would say is you've got to know your where you're going, what your vision is, and how you're going to get there. And uh, you've got to break that down so it's bits and pieces. And uh, if you concentrate on the wrong thing to obtain your vision, you're not going to get to your vision. But hopefully <clears throat> the 200 people that are coming this weekend are going to have lots of conversations yes. and they're going to take from those the bits that they were yeah. going to hope. And, and I took so much from yeah. last year. Yeah. Took so much from last year. So. Well, let's see what happens. Anyway, oh thank you very much. Oh. Mike, Michael. I'm not sure which one that was. Well, yeah. there we go. We'll see. <laughs> Thank you very much. Here are three voices from farmers just turning up to the conference. I've grabbed them in the car park and we just have a quick chat about why they're at the conference and what they're trying to get out of it. We're just in the lead up to Carbon Corning, just arrived and the, and the sun's gone down, the lights are coming up. It's, it's kind of like fairyland, isn't it? It's all the fairy lights and things like that. What are you here for? What, you, what have you come for? And where have you come from? Uh, we've come from Northumberland, yep. yeah, and I'm just excited about it. And are you, do you consider yourselves regen farmers? You're farmers, aren't you? Farmers, yeah. Farmers. Raising farmers, and mm -hmm. yeah, here just to, I don't know, invigorate the mind a bit. And are you already regen farming, or are you conventional farming and just want to know a bit more? Regen in quite a few ways, not full on, but... And which bits have you... 90%. Okay, which bit have you have adopted so far? Oh, I've been rotationally grazing for... 12 years or something, a lot of rest periods, a lot of diverse lays. Um, just, yeah. The... Knock, knocking out fur, not using fur anymore or using Very bits? little, very right. little, tiny bit there that's probably going this year. Okay. So, uh, yeah. And, you, and the system's working for you? The system's working fine, yeah. Are, like you, make, the system. are you making more money or? Uh, yeah, making a bit more money, liking the lifestyle a bit more and just trying to grow the business. Because a lot of people tell me that they enjoy the regen farming side. It actually gives them a bit more pleasure than the old system. Get rid of a lot of the things that you didn't like in the old system, I think. Yeah. We're talking on the way up, that's all we talked about was, well, I talked about mm -hmm. crap that I didn't want to be doing anymore and all the things I don't want to be doing. Like kind what? Of, like what? Oh, just making silage, pissing about on tractors, buying fur, using sprays. Um, just, yeah. Um, and yeah, genuinely, what, why, why don't you want to do that anymore? What, what, what is it about that you just don't like? The system we had, it was kind of a necessity to have some of them things in there. And as we've developed the system, learned that the things we didn't particularly like as much about them were yeah. them sort of aspects. The things we did like was grazing animals, moving stock, seeing things happy and yeah, just growing grass. If we can move towards a system of only growing grass, it's, I think it's a win for us. It's a win for us. What about yourself? Yeah, I'd say exactly the same as James, just it didn't, that's a type of, bits of the farm that we just don't enjoy which is the sort of the machinery side the, the spray side the calibrate anything to do with calibration i'm crap at <laughs> so um, if i can do as little calibration as possible so i don't calibrate anything in our <laughs> on our farm now so yeah working with the animals um, breeding healthy livestock which perform off 
grass, um, utilizing all the things that are for free. So the sun, the soil, yeah. the rain, all them things, just learning how to do that better. And that's why we come to things like this, because this is where we're hopefully uh, can improve our business by listening to people who are already doing it. And when you get up in the morning, do you feel like you're going out to observe more? Are you actually watching what's going on on the land now? Are you spending more time doing that? Yeah, I think so, definitely. You know, you, you, you're starting to notice things that are changing in your landscape, you know, by the way that you're farming. Uh, so we've been organic since 2005. Um, so I suppose we started to move this way quite a while ago, but it's probably picking up a bit of pace at the moment um, because there's a lot more people to learn from out there mm. now and a lot more talked about. So it's well, just been joined by Renault and Renault, this is how I got into it was through Renault yeah. and, and, and Nick, you know, and actually it's like sort of open, open doors for me and I'm a conservationist. I've come to farming from that side, if you like. Yeah. But it's just, it's just, it feels such a, an energetic space and people it are is. willing to share with each it's other. It's quite exciting. It is exciting and, it, and, and you're surrounded by lots of positive people um, and it's great when you can bring in like yourself yeah. from the environmental side and from the food production yeah. side and bring us closer together with a with a, a common goal of like environment and food produ and food production well, we eat food as well yeah despite liking birds yeah, yeah. exactly <laughs> yeah. exactly so if we can if we can come together and, and look like we're going instead of broadly. working against each other yeah, broadly in the same direction yeah broadly in the same direction yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, be, I better let you get a beer, hadn't I? Yeah, yeah, well, as well, I, think, yeah. I think you're both gagging for one. So. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks very much indeed. <laughs> no bother. Cheers. Thank you. No Cheers. Worries. Do you mind? What do you want to say? Well, all I'm doing is just trying to get some people arriving. Okay. So Alan Ingleton, yeah. stock farmer, yeah. coming to Carbon Calling. Absolutely. What do you, what do you hope to get out of it? Um, I'm just here to learn, to understand more about how livestock and nature and uh, sort of woodland and everything can work together and are you are you do you think you consider yourself regenerative or organic or what, what's your status at the moment or are you in transition we are completely conventional right okay um i probably see myself as looking at the lowest cost options that are available to produce good quality food um if that's in a regenerative way then so be it the options are open at the moment right but you're here to learn yeah Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And I know you've been to one or two of these things in the past as well, haven't you? So I have. Yeah, I have. Um, I am picking up as much information as I can. I am being a sponge. Um, and are you are you in charge of the farm, or is it still with your the parents older still. generation? Yeah, yeah parents yeah. still. So uh, we're in a transition now to see um, how we perhaps move forward yeah. in a way which I see as the future. Um, it's a slow process, hmm. and we'll get there. So you're trying to persuade them that this is... Yeah. Yeah, yeah so they're coming along to a few events at different okay. different events and different, more specific and are events. And are they open to change? I <laughs> look on your face. <laughs> I think they are open to me being more involved at the farm at home, Yeah. Um, and that will involve some change if mm. they want that to happen. Mm. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And it, do you, do you, are you looking upon this sort of regen spaces? I, I mean, you've just said about costs and things like that, but... Um, I'm interested in the conservation perspective, and I think this is where the joining of farming and conservation comes together when you start to take out fertilisers and chemicals. Mm. Yeah. If it makes farming more productive, or, or actually just makes it less costly, that's still a positive, isn't it? Absolutely. I think, and ultimately, I think you can come at it from lots of different angles, or three main angles, whether it's coming at it from a low-cost perspective, from a nature perspective, or from probably a, an animal um, production perspective. 
everything else comes with whichever one you choose. Yeah. I'm quite interested in nature and in planting more trees to see what happens. But ultimately, that comes in a low-cost model, actually. It all comes together as mm. one in the end. So you've already planted trees? We are in the process of. Okay. Yeah, yeah. As a wood or as field trees or...? So we do have a wood on the farm, but I think we're going to have a lot more hedges going forward as well. Right, okay. And are you yeah. in going to schemes to do that? Schemes to do that, yeah, and other financial options, other grants and funding options yeah. as well. Okay, brilliant. Well, I hope you enjoy the conference. Thank you. Thanks very much for talking Thank about. you. Cool. Okay. I have a quick chat with Paul Renison. Paul is one of the organisers of the conference and actually is about to go off and tune his guitar because he's not just an organiser, he's also the entertainment. Just having a quick, quick catch-up with Paul. Paul Renison. All right, Pete. And uh, how are you doing? All right, you're doing a good job of keeping me out of the bar, so that's good. <laughs> well, we're expecting great things of you with your guitar and, and vocals later on. So uh, <laughs> we Look want, after the voice box. We want a reasonably sober Paul. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you're the reason I got into this regen farming life from my side, the conservation mm -hmm. side, because I think uh, the journey that you had was... Uh, um, everyone's off to the bar, apart from us. Um, <laughs> you know, we were there early doors for you in your journey towards regenerative yeah. farming, weren't we? Yeah, yeah. We, um, I think you helped us. We got a tree, some trees in, in the first, the first Christmas Eve we were at the farm, so 2012. And we've yeah. been planting... Trees and hedges ever since. Ever since. Yep. How many hedges have you put in there? A few miles, a couple of miles probably. Yeah. And your system is now. And now everything's. I'm, I'm trying to get a hedge in every field. I'm trying to get a browse or shelter in every field from a hedge. Yeah. And those are then subdivided with. With electric, electric poly wire, yeah. 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 And you've got rid of all the sheep. You've got rid of all the sheep finally, and just cattle and chickens when we when we'll finally get hold of them, and uh, in October sometime. So, so truck tractor. You've had truck tractors yeah, before. Yeah, for a few two or three years now. So, and uh, and then we've done the meat birds as well, the Joel Salatin chicken tractor, meat birds. Yeah. So this carbon calling conference is very much sort of you know, I mean it's you and Nick, Liz Jennifer, Liz. and the Nicholsons. Yeah. Kind of very much your idea, isn't it? Yeah, it was our idea. We went down to um, Groundswell. So you thought you could come up with a northern version of Groundswell? Yeah, that's basically what we did. And uh, we were put off for the first couple of years. We had Joel Salatin lined up. We were very excited about that. And then uh, COVID came along and then put, put paid to that. But yeah. uh, last year went ahead and this year's going ahead too. So we just thought yeah. enjoyed it. Like 200 people. Yeah, it was great. And Busy, it was buzzy. Just positive and jolly. Yep. Everyone chatting and networking, yep. it was uh, it was just what we wanted, really. And just chatting to a few people as they've arrived now this evening, that's what they're looking forward to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Knowledge share, yeah. good crack. And friends, and their friends on Twitter or their friends, they've met at all these other shows, these regenerative kind of shows, and they kind of, they all know each other, and it's a bit of a family, really. And they feel like, it feels like there's a bit of a movement happening. Do you, yeah, do you, yeah. do you, do you get it's that? It's slow, but I think, I think it's quicker down south with the cereal job but it's it's a slow burn further north i think with livestock farmers but hopefully one day so what are you looking forward to most out this weekend uh i'm looking forward to picking jamie elizondo's brains a bit more jamie elizondo yeah that's quite a name a mexican keynote speaker okay what's he going to be talking about uh well profitability in a, in a cattle enterprise and uh, genetics um Okay. Just interesting stuff that every time you hear it, you come to one of these things, you just kind of take something else home with you and you just 
changes your outlook on things. So that's, okay. that's the aim. Right. Well, let's see him in the morning. Okay. <laughs> Thanks very much, Paul. See you, Pete. So this is our second one. Uh, anybody else who was here last year, it doesn't feel like a year and a bit has passed, so it is very surreal. So thank you very much for turning up. Uh, hopefully you will enjoy the rest of the day. So last year at this point when Liz and I did this little chat, we were so knackered that we hadn't planned anything of what to say. So we are slightly more organised, so welcome, and um, it's great to see you all here. Um, first of all, I want, well, I want to thank you all for coming. Uh, and, and obviously all our speakers, but also I want to give a special thanks to Tim and Em. So Tim and Em are our hosts, <laughs> and um, Carbon Calling isn't a money-making exercise, it's, it's mainly a pure stress exercise, um, but um, they um, give us this venue, uh, get involved, part of, they clear out their house so speakers can be in the house, so um, without them it wouldn't happen, um, and also it wouldn't happen without Renault, my husband, uh, who, who, said, who said to me the other day, are you, are you going to uh, talk to me again soon? Which, uh, and then I just didn't answer him, and then he went to sleep. mention, um, Colin is over there. Colin is um, producer, direct, director, one of those words, of a film that's coming out called Six Inches of Soil. It's going to be really good. Think of Kiss the Ground, but based on three characters in this country. And he's going to be around today um, filming, so if you're not happy to be on film, just duck Colin. Um, and if you want to do a little piece to camera, he'll, he'll be up for that. Um, but yeah, that's, that's Colin. Um, t-shirts. We've got t-shirts. That one isn't for sale. No, this one isn't for sale, but this, this is what Liz and I are all about, really. So it's keeping awkward, and we are quite awkward. Uh, we're brave in that we decide to do these crazy things. And we always try and be kind. Try and be kind. Um, yeah. So, but there are t-shirts around in there, um, and they are 20 quid. They're all different size. I think if you think you're a medium, you're probably a small. Other way. And also, just a quick thing. If you um, want food tonight, so your lunch is included in the ticket price. If you want food tonight, it's be served at about half six. It's uh, £13. It'll be lovely. Um, you need to put your name on, on a chart over there. Um, and if you don't, we'll be short of food like we were last year. Uh, and, oh, and Sarah is going to speak in a minute, and Sarah's got some books over there that she'll sign and sell, and it's, well, she'll talk about it, but it's an amazing book. Um, and I've just come from a Nicole Masters course, so we now need to be in touch with our feelings, which is very challenging for me. So I want you to think of the one word that describes where you are right now. And then I'll ask you again at the end, and I'm hoping it's moved to a more positive space. But already you could be keen, excited. Um, we've got to use the word gratitude a lot. This is what I've learned. So I'm very grateful for being here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, yeah, and 
if you haven't downloaded YAP, uh, so YAP is an app that allows you to look at what's coming next, or if you're happy to be just, you're here and we'll see what happens next, it's fine. But if you download YAP and look at, uh, I think it's CC23 at the end, but come and find me if you can't get on it. Uh, just one last thing. So everyone has got a name badge on, or should have a name badge on. And the whole point of carbon calling is it's all very relaxed. And uh, so if you see someone, just go up and talk to them. Don't be, you know, it's all kind of, we're all here for the mutual loving. Um, so at that, at that, we'll pass over to Martin, who's going to start the first session. Thank you very much. Uh, great to see so many of you here. Um, I've actually got promotion this year. I came along last year, crept in the door a little bit late because I come from Cambridgeshire, and then I got given the job of running around for a mic. And then this year I've upgraded. I get to chair a session and a panel session. So my name's Martin Lyons. I, I'm the chief exec of the Nature Friendly Farming Network. I come from Cambridgeshire, predominantly an arable farmer. And talking about integration and things we learn, I learned a lot last year and it inspires me to change our own arable farming system back into a more mixed farming system, bringing back much more livestock and listening to the inspiration we had last year and we're looking forward to today learning a lot more of how, does, how can we get livestock really working in our landscape to live that multifunctional uh, delivery. Um, so the Nature Friendly Farming Network is free for farmers to join. If you've got to stand over there, if you want any information, it's over there. It's about giving farmers a voice. Farmers are inspirational to me. They have so much uh, opportunity to do amazing things and tackle many of the problems we have around climate, biodiversity, healthy food production. And we want to help give those farmers the voice and, and encourage governments and supply chains to do the right thing. But also to share knowledge and exchange and these events are critical. For that, for that opportunity to share stuff. We've all got stuff we can teach and help other each other. After Liz and Nick's fantastic introduction, I go off around the conference and interview a number of the people who are sat there at tables or who are milling around in the crowds, including Bruce from Northern Ireland talking about dairy farming, but his love of dung beetles, author Sarah Longford on her book and farm, Chris and Caitlin and their work with Natural England's catch-per-sensitive farming, and Niels Caulfield on his work trying to train farmers to manage their soils better. So fantastic voices, all with something to say about regenerative farming and how we can get nature and farming to work better together. So hi Colin, you're, you're here at Carbon Calling and I think you're, you're making a film this year. That's right, um, we're making a film called Six Inches of Soil which is a feature documentary film about agroecology and regenerative agriculture in Britain told through the eyes of three farmers, a livestock farmer in Cornwall called Ben, uh, an arable farmer called Anna with her dad up in North Lincolnshire near Scunthorpe yeah. and then a Cambridgeshire market gardener and it really is you know, a year in their life, the highs and lows of their regenerative journey, and then more broadly, some of the policy um, and national issues around okay. how we shift, you know, a, a conventional uh, agricultural system in, in Britain to something that's more sustainable, uh, and all the challenges that, that that presents, but also the huge opportunities. Yeah, so I'm here today at Carbon Calling. Um, Nick Renison, one of the organisers, she's actually in the film, she's right, one of the okay. experts in the film, uh, and just really trying to help this movement, and that's why I'm here today to help with some of the filming and support, and really, I think, you know, video and knowledge sharing and 
and all that sort of stuff helps with, with getting the word out there. Well, that's why I'm doing the podcast, yeah. which is yeah. exactly that. It's trying yeah. to just vibe it. It's just trying to engage with this and say, well, actually, there is a way forward for land. It doesn't have to, it can be rewilded, but that's not the only course of action. There's a whole change in farming that we could do. Absolutely, yeah. nature with it. Absolutely. It's, it's a complex story to tell. I think I've, I, I've yeah. struggled with that, and I think we've got something now, but it's taken a long time for me to work through these issues. I don't have a farming background, yeah. so if you'd asked me three years ago what any of this meant, I yeah. wouldn't have a clue, and I'm still learning, which, you know, if you speak to farmers, they're still learning. They've been doing it yeah. 20, 30 years, and they're still learning about these new principles. But I think there's a lot of hope, a lot of positivity in the space and I think it's about how do you reorientate markets and policy to support these types of systems because they're not waiting around for governments to do it for them they're, they're taking the charge these farmers these farms are taking the charge taking and that's the what lead. I love about it yeah and it's really inspiring yeah. and I think it's they're not taking, top down it's bottom up absolutely absolutely so we have to get the, the, I think the key part of that is how do you get consumers into that space in a cost of living crisis yeah. when we're so indoctrinated into thinking that food must be incredibly cheap yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and it's just fuel for your body you know yeah. so you've got like nutrition angle health angle land use angle relationship storytelling culture we have well-being. A, we have a really well-being we have a really weird relationship with food in this country yeah. dominated by you know processed food and supermarkets it's not like that in Europe um, so we, we, we've got a lot to learn but also I'm very hopeful as well and I think the question is, you know, with all the with, with all the different camps there are in the spaces, you know, we all agree that there's a there's a problem, i.e., climate change, mm. biodiversity, soils, etc. It's just a question of how fast and where that change happens. So I think that's what I take kind of comfort from. Brilliant. Well, I'm really looking forward to seeing the film. What's it called again? Six Inches of Soil, um, and we're premiere, uh, premiering the film at Oxford Real Farming Conference in January. I'll be there. I'll see you there. Fantastic. Okay. Thank you, Colin. Brilliant. Yeah. Chris and Caitlin, yeah. and you're representing catchment sensitive farming yeah. at Carbon Calling. Oh, yeah. So, I, what I love about what you do is you go and dig a couple of squares of soil up mm. from a field, and then you do this pour test thing. You just take a. Well, <laughs> <laughs> obviously, I, I, I loved playing with um, sand pits when I was a kid. Obviously, yeah. and a, a bucket and spade, and away we go. Um, but yeah, what we've done I, I, I was inspired um, seeing some stuff in the US where they're looking at infiltration tests and, and working out how much uh, uh, runoff comes off different ways of grazing whether it's rotational grazing or set stocking and it was it was quite stark and I thought oh, I'm gonna have to make one of those so I've gone in the shed and made made one of our own so these are really homespun of course things. They, you can see that they're clearly homespun things out of um, uh, bits and pieces of found in the garage but anyway the point is it, it works it works absolutely fine so we take um, uh, um, on the left hand side here we've got some clay loam with uh, um, on a on a set stocking arrangement and then similar same sort of soil um, in the next field where we've done rotational grazing and uh, and obviously it's not going to work very well on a podcast because you can't actually see this but but you can uh, what's amazing is how much you get in terms of, of, of runoff in terms of catchment in the set stocking situation yeah. in terms of um, set stocking which is what most farmers do you can actually see when you look in the bucket of water that's running off and it runs off really quickly um how how much sediment and soil is in that runoff compared to the the other one um where it's it's all infiltrating into the soil it's all percolating into the soil and not running off um and what an astonishing difference and farmers say oh do you know these rivers used to take 
days to rise and days to fall, and now they just take hours to rise and hours to fall. You know, the rivers are more flashy than they used to be. And, and it's absolutely connected to how we manage yeah. the soil. Yeah. So if we can sort of do some simple demonstrations to say, well, if you manage the soil this way, you can get that water to go in. Do you want your nutrients to go into the soil or do you want them to run off and into the river? Yeah. Which do you want? Which looks better? And, uh, and so it's from, just quite compelling. From your perspective, you're trying to reduce pollution in watercourses and things like that and, and keep soil. Yeah. But also you're trying to help farmers to make the best of... Absolutely. I mean, the, the, the critical thing is trying to look at um, how can we uh, um, spend less money without dipping our productivity? How can we um, get more out of it? And guys that, uh, at this event who've been doing this rotational grazing for a few years are saying, you know, they're getting 40% more grass in this rotational grazing system than they were before when they were using artificial fertiliser. So, you know, if you can get that for free for the cost of a few rolls of electric wire, yeah. then why would you not? You know, and that there's a, there's a real kind of logic to that. that it's like. not just nutrients, is it? It's also moisture content and things like that. So we've got, yeah. we've got climate change kicking in. We've yeah. got droughty soils now. Yeah, well, we might, we might swap these over later on because we've got some that we've droughted um, just by neglect in another couple <laughs> of trays. And uh, and what I noticed that last year we had a dry spell and I, I put some on it and the grass had sort of burned off. didn't make any difference in fact, it did make a difference. The, the infiltration on the rotational grazing, even though the grass looked dead on the top, yeah. was just even more marked right. than when the soils were wet. So the infiltration worked even better. And conversely, in the set stocking arrangement, the, I thought, ah, oh, these soils are dry. It didn't matter whether it was a sandy loam soil or a clay loam soil. I thought these soils are dry. They'll have capacity mm. to absorb water. Oh, no. no. It just ran straight off. And I think the soil is totally dry under here but it's not going in and it was all running off and it was faster. Right. And um, we talk about is you know, when the weatherman says, oh, you know, we've had a long dry spell, we're going to get some rain and, and it's going to be very heavy rain and we might get some uh, um, localised flooding. Uh, and I'm thinking, yeah, I know why that is. It's because these soils, um, you think they'd be parched and they should be able to soak water in, but uh, it's not what happens. The water just hits the surface and runs straight off. Yeah. Um, and you can you can take a pocket knife into a soil that's just had a heavy shower of rain on, uh, and particularly on sandy loams, and you think that should soak in. You, an inch down, it's dry, it's dust, you know, even though it's sort of wet right on the top. So soils are not working. That's the, soils that's the are conclusion. not working. They're not working the way they're meant to work, and and um, and we can you know we need to correct that because it's when the soils are not working that is hurting farmers' pockets. Mm. And, uh, and, and the great thing about what we can do with CSF is to help um, farmers look at, yeah, not hurting their pockets and benefiting their pockets and benefiting the environment at the same time. So, you know, how often do you get a win-win? Yeah. It's like yeah. happy days. Happy days. And you've been doing this, I mean, I've, I've known you for at least, well, 25 years, I reckon. Yeah. So yeah. we've been banging away at something like this, haven't we, we for a while? We have, we have, we have. But I think something about this is about being able to see it yeah. you know actually see physically what happens yeah. if you do x you know so um uh there's a there's a beauty in being able to actually physically see and that's the th one thing about soils and particularly grass and soils is we don't tend to go in and dig them up very often so we're not looking yeah. um and so you know an arable farmer fair play you know they're, they're cultivating their soils and they they see it a lot um, but uh, but in Grassland we tend to sort of it's out of mind um, and and tend to forget about it or not 
not twig the things that we should be doing. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I'm a bit fanatical with a spade. I, I go, I take it everywhere. Well, I um, seem to see you with clods of earth every time. <laughs> yeah. So it's absolutely brilliant. Anyway, thanks very much indeed for that. And uh, a short snippet of what you're doing, CSF, because there's loads of stuff you are doing. I mean, yeah. Yeah, putting yeah. roofs over middens and all sorts of things. I'm hearing lots about yeah, that. Yeah, so, it's fa you know, I find it fascinating because when farmers say, well, actually, yeah, can you help us? What can you help us with, you know? Um, and, and we'll go and look at a yard. And then sometimes farmers feel a bit embarrassed and you know, say, well, it's a clarty scrow, you know, yeah. and... Uh, I um, love that word. It's my favourite Cumbrian <laughs> word, it's scrow. It's a scrow. <laughs> uh, but, um, uh, but, you know, often I look at that and I sort of think, actually, you know, your problem here isn't, isn't muck and slother. It's water. Yeah. It's water. So water, you need it. It's absolutely essential. But you don't need it in copious quantities running across your yard, turning your little bit of slurry into dirty water, which is filling up your slurry tower ridiculously and quickly. And it's a problem. It's a problem. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, and so suddenly water's turned into a problem. And, uh, and if we can just think about... And often it's just really simple stuff. Like, well, you see all that spouting on the buildings, the gutters that are dripping, that... Uh, dripping down the side of the wall and actually if they were going to a clean drain effectively and and going away and not running across the yard after that you know you could take out you know hundreds of cubic meters yeah. of water out of your equation and hey presto you you've got a concentrated product to spread back on your farm when you need it rather than your stores overloaded and you know you, you and you've, got, spread in the you've then got a bit of be a bit relaxed about when you put it out because you're not having to worry about too much storage. absolutely and we know that if we are going to put uh, um, nutrients out on the ground you wouldn't spread artificial fertilizer in january when the grass is not going to respond to that yeah. nitrogen because the soils are cold and wet and then we can make them even more cold and wet by driving over them with a slurry tanker in the winter to, to, to sort of try and manage our slurry towers and uh, and so we're just throwing that, that throwing that nutrient away, um, which is you know just um, just such a shame. And we've done calculations on on how much of this nutrient actually ends up in the river, and it's it's eye-watering figures. Mm. Um, and that destroys the the college of the river. The fish, it, it does, insects, it else. does, it does. Um, but uh, but I sort of think we need to look at it the other way and think. Well, if I'm losing that off my farm and it's not growing me good grass, um, then I'm having to spend more on artificial fertiliser to replace that. Well, that's bonkers. I'd rather not lose it in the first place. Yeah. And, uh, and how can I keep what I have without having to dig my hand in my pocket and then buy it? Yeah. Thanks very much. And Caitlin, what's your role? What's your, what are you doing here? Um, so my role's a little bit more flood-focused, looking at okay. natural flood management. Yeah. Um, but soil plays a massive part in that as well, uh, the ability of soil to kind of act as a sponge and absorb things. So the demonstration we've got here, there's a fair bit obviously in difference between infiltration and runoff. You scale that up to a field and scale up further up into a catchment. Yeah. There's a really significant amount of water that we can actually hold and store within our soils. Um, rather than you know thinking straight away about things like buns or leaky woody dams, uh, there's a lot we can do in terms of making soil work for us in terms of flooding and flood yeah. risk. Uh, as so well thing, as water quality. The thing that worries me about a lot of NFM stuff is it, it still requires interventions, mm -hmm. which means more carbon release when you're doing it with a digger or whatever. Yeah, I think ultimately it's good to have a combination of the interventions, yeah. but I think there should maybe be more attention put to the role that soil could play in that as well. Yeah. Power to your elbow. Thanks very much indeed. Thanks to both of you. Cheers. So I've just sat down with Sarah Langford, and you are an author. Yeah, I can't make up my mind what I am, basically. Okay. I've got hyphens in between everything. So I am a writer, 
I used to be a barrister and I manage a farm as well. So the farm bit is obviously in why some ways why you're here, yeah. but, I, but, but the book is about the farming yeah. journey, isn't it? Yeah, it's half memoir and it's spliced with uh, stories of farmers who kind of changed the way I thought, saw the world, and who are, um, I think, the ones who are going to provide us with lots of solutions. Using our own farm, for example, we haven't had any animals on those arable fields for probably 60 years, 50 years, because there hasn't been any need to. Everything's come out of a bag or a bottle. We've now got sheep which their job is multifaceted. They are to graze the herbal lay, that's our fertility provider, but they're also, the plan is to graze off the overwinter stubbles because we're trying not to plow more than once in five years. So they're gonna allow us to bring everything right down so that we can do a cultivation that's quite shallow. And I want to get to a point, and this is a a process where I have to take people with me rather than dictate everything where we're grazing off our early cereals. So the idea is, you know, you put um, your plant, your wheat into a field that has previously had lays in it. So there will eventually, lays will come up. So you'll have a mixture of stuff that you want to graze off before you get to growth stage 32 when your seed head comes through. And that, in it's an old way of doing it, but it both sheep saliva has enzymes in it that promotes tillering in the plant so you're going to boost its growth but you're also going to take off fungal disease so it's using animals as a tool both instead of a instead of a fungicide instead of a topper and instead of bag fertility so they're essential to our arable Part of the farm, and obviously to our pasture. And as I'm, well. yeah, well, I'm a Suffolk lad originally. Oh, okay. I was fascinated to hear where you are. I should are. be able to recognise you from across the room well, then. Yeah, but I've lived in Cumbria for a long time. Oh, they've turned you. Okay. But, <laughs> well, I think one of the losses that we've seen in, in Suffolk and Norfolk mm. is the loss of animals from, oh, my gosh, from the yeah. arable landscape. Yeah, yeah. But I tell you what, I don't know how recently you went there, but I used to be able to do that drive from London to Suffolk and not see an animal yeah. at ever. And over the last couple of years, I started kind of yelling sheep out of the window, sheep, sheep. And then yesterday we were going down, not yesterday, the other month we were going, I was going down a Roman road with my father-in-law and my husband and our kids. And I was like, stop the car, stop the car. And there was a mobile dairy on the arable field to my left, which I had already noticed had gone into a herbal lay as part of its rotation the year before. And they had a mobile dairy on it. I have never seen that on Suffolk arable land. And I don't think that would have been heard of five years ago. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and that's joyful, isn't it? Actually, the fact yeah. that we're now, we're now seeing these things come back. You can do a lot of good roadside farming and yeah. just drive along looking at what everyone else is like. Oh, look, they're doing beans and oats together. They're doing bicropping cropping there. You know, it's really a job which is unlike any other, probably apart from architecture, where your work is out there for everyone to look at. Now, that can be a terrifying thing because you're not willing to take risks in case everybody laughs and points at you. But whenever people start doing it, it becomes less foreign. Well, we talk a lot in my work about, and I do trees. Yeah. um, Exemplars. 
Yeah. You know, we've now got exemplar yeah. farms in Cumbria which are regenerative or, or organic or what, wherever people are on that line. Sure. And I don't really mind where they are. Yeah. Because for me, it's a journey. It's always a journey. Why totally. do you call yourself? And if you call yourself a name, then people say, oh, I, but you, well, I don't think that's the right name. We need to call it this name over here. So language is important. Yeah. So once that journey's happening, then I think we're starting to get somewhere, aren't we? Yeah, we are. I mean, it, it's a, it, within the very, very niche space, it is a, somewhat of a conflict because organic is more than a word it is certified i've just arranged my organic inspection it's going to take all day graham will come around and look at every single piece of paperwork he'll come and dig a hole he will look at everything and as a result of that incredibly thorough inspection where i cannot have even put a hedge plant in unless it's certified organic uh, or i've got a dispensation to do so that's how i get my premium so that it it is different because it's regulated but in terms of philosophy, I you're completely thinking, I was right. Philosophically yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, and we are having lots of conversations about regenerative should become more. Sorry, organic should become more regenerative, mm-hmm. or whether regenerative is a path to organic. Yep. But the idea, the principles behind both should be, of course, this idea of res- allowing your own natural capital, your own natural systems, to get to a point where they are self-restoring self-regenerating Sarah thanks very much indeed. thank you for having me your book is called Rooted Rooted. for all the reasons that you can imagine apart from the one in Australia we don't mention that it sounds like you're up for an award at some point next week keep your fingers crossed on Thursday it's been shortlisted for the Wainwright which is kind of the biggest nature writing prize but it's been there are three categories and it's been nominated in the conservation category which is a really big deal for me. Yeah, Yeah, because I think that it shows that this idea that that farming and conservation do not have to stand on opposite sides of this scale, that you can use farming as a way, as a method of conservation for your land. And frankly, that's where I come into it. I'm a conservationist, (laughs) Mm. and I've come to farming to see how we can work together. There you go. And this is a perfect... Well, we are. So there we go. Thanks very much for your time. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you. Thanks. So with Bruce Thompson and Chris Turner, who I know very well, <laughs> I can't remember his name, but because <laughs> we're two beers down, I'm just getting into the evening. <laughs> so <laughs> I think the heat's getting to you. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's really hot, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's super hot. September, it's boiling. Um, but you're 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 a fantastic um, dung beetle kind of character right? okay. you're, into, you're into your dung beetles I'm into right? my dung beetles we'll go with that yeah, yeah we'll go with that <laughs> and you're farming in Ireland I am indeed yeah milking uh, cows so yeah dairy farmer spring block calving system right. yeah okay conventional well, farmer yep yeah nothing fancy so this, yeah. this regen stuff you're yeah well I wouldn't put a name on what I'm doing uh, so I'm not branding uh, branding myself as regen but yeah. looking very uh, favourably, a lot, a lot of the um, stuff that I'm seeing here with, with regen farmers, so it's pretty cool, very interesting. And why? What? What about that is is of interest to you particularly? Uh, uh, soil, uh, rebuilding the soils, yeah. and seeing that, you know, because when I came home at first, we were looking at what our cows could produce, yep. and then that trans- transformed into what our grass could produce. Okay. But now we're seeing it's what our soil can produce is where the game is at. Okay, so you're going yeah. lower and lower. Going lower, yeah. We're down to the bedrock yet. So, <laughs> and 
Yeah. Am I, I'm messing up your podcast. No, you know, I'm asking questions, but was it was it about cost saving? Was that a sort of motivator to think about can I cut my input costs back? Was it what got you sort of yeah, looking that way? Yeah. Well, you'd be kind of looking at animal health. Uh, I was always very very interested in looking at animal health and performance and like I, I, I've spot, like seen over the years that you know the, the real gain for us is a uh, very healthy animal that uh, is highly fertile um, because they need to calve down at the right time of the year to, to take advantage of our grassland production system. So you're, you're, the peak of your production is May isn't it? Yeah peak, peak grass production peak cow milk production is May. Yeah. What kind so, of soils are you on? So yeah, it's mineral type soil and it's quite shallow. So we have, um, uh, I think you guys call it blue clay underneath. Right, okay, so yeah. clay loam or clay, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it would be, yeah, yeah. So that's, uh, that's what quite we're on. Heavy. Quite heavy, yeah, it can be quite heavy, yeah. We'd have some sandy, sandier type of soils, but mainly that's, that's what we're looking at. So with the conventional system, your soils could have been really quite pushed, couldn't they? Yeah, there would be, yeah. You would be pushing them, yeah, to be honest. Um, and look, we, we did see stuff going wrong over the, the years as we started pushing more grass out of them. I suppose the, the real um, uh, obvious stuff is like uh, iodine deficiency in animals. Um, and, you know, you start feeding iodine to animals when they're deficient and straight away it's a game changer so you start asking questions well why are they deficient in iodine yeah. uh, it's because we're growing more grass we do a soil a more in-depth soil sample and we see that the iodine levels are on the floor yeah. and some of the fields non-existent so it's trying to revert that you know problem back to and this back is a naturally basics. occurring material it should be everywhere it should it? be everywhere yeah. yeah now look it is it is quite low in, in our soils out over in the beside the Atlantic Oceans anyway but um, you know a, a mineral that's low in the soil is going to be half of being low um, when you're growing twice the grass so that's that's where the issue comes in and that turns into an animal health problem and then you're ringing the vet and you're buying more products and yeah, this, is, this is where the things start the wheels start falling off the wagon so this is where it starts to make you think yeah, yeah you start thinking you know, how, how is this coming about why is it happening, what can I do to, to change it um, and that's I suppose look, iodine is one example you know, there's plenty we could write a book on them now at this yeah. stage yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. so that takes you into a whole thing about thinking about soils and and I understand you still, it's a very conventional system, you're but yeah. you're now thinking, well, actually, if, if we change how we medicate, when we medicate, what we medicate with. Yeah. Well, look, I suppose it, our, our policy is at home is not to, um, not to change the system to the point that it's a, a huge change, um, but to try to get it to work within the parameters that we have. Um, so, you know, if I can impr improve biodiversity, can, if I can do something on my farm to improve biodiversity, then I'll do that if it's not going to have a, a significant effect on the income. Um, so, like we, we mentioned a few minutes ago about going organic, you know, that's not really an option. The market's not there for, for our milk. Yeah. So, it's, we, we, whereas I'd love to see that happening, it's, it, uh, 
first the first rule of sustainability is, is to be financially sustainable. Mm. It wouldn't be financially sustainable for us to Where do that. Where you are in Ireland. Yeah, yeah. So you so, export something like it's over ninety percent of your milk. Yeah, I think it's ninety-one percent is, is exported, and uh, about ten percent. It's just over ten percent of world world's infant formula is created in Ireland. It's the same uh, over here, but or in Ireland, but um, just now the organic price for milk, you know, it's been just on a par with conventional or even sometimes lower. And, and that's been, the organic farmers over here are saying, well, it's because the um, American market has is, is been quite, is, the exchange rate's not been good and that kind of thing. So that's really kind of knocked back the value of organic. So we've had quite a few organic farmers that have come back to conventional if they were just chasing the milk price. Um, but it's interesting some of the organic farmers are saying no well I wouldn't change what I'm doing if if I went back conventional anyway because I've learned quite a bit of going organic so they've stayed with it you know so yeah. but the milk price has been definitely a, a problem it, it, it is a big problem for us yeah and look um, I, I suppose uh, knowing some of the organic farmers in Ireland, their, their motivation isn't isn't financial. They're financially sustained. They're, they're financially secure before they went into it. Um, so, that, whereas you know, if you have someone that's after putting a lot of money into infrastructure, buying cows, putting down farm roadways, water systems, animal housing, you, know, you have to make money to, to get that to pay back. Um, whereas if someone you know has maybe had the facilities there for a while anyway already, and the cows are already there. Um, they haven't got big capital expense to, to try and turn back money on. So, yeah, and look, as I, I suppose in, in Ireland the difference is when we're exporting that much milk, we're, we're well away from our, cons- our consumer. Like we're dealing with people that are in Africa, North Africa, Asia, so uh, America. They're not, they're not looking to go around the corner and buy a pint buy, of organic milk. Yeah, milk. there's a story no. behind their yeah. pint of organic milk. You know, yeah, they that, know where it's come from. Exactly, yeah. So we're relying on a processor to sell it. And the consumers that we're dealing with they don't give a stuff whether it's organic or conventional. Yeah, yeah. Once it's come from Ireland, a grass-based system, they're, they're happy about that. So on that basis, you are, you're very conventional in yeah. terms of how you run it, but you, you have managed to bring back dung beetles. And yeah. in fact, you're very proud of that. And in fact, yeah. that's what we're here to talk about, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, correct. Yeah, brought back dung beetles and that has had other knock-on effects that we'll get into as well. Yeah, so um, I, I started looking at um, investigating um, uh, antimintic usage, which is your wormers, wormers in, yeah. in cattle and sheep. I got enough food scholarship to do that and went down the rabbit hole of dung beetles and if the knock-on effect that that had on biodiversity. So... We're using wormers in our cattle and sheep in, in the conventional system. They are they have a, a significant reduction um, effect on dung beetle populations, um, and the dung beetles are also public enemy number one for parasites. Right. So, in removing your enemy for the parasites, you're you're leaving a sterile environment for them, um, which means you have to go with more wormers more often lower more, more of your dung beetle populations and it turns into a cyclical event the wrong a way. downward spiral. Downward spiral, yeah. yeah. So as to revert that, you know, what can we do within our system to um, reverse that, that, uh, that trend? Um, so yeah, that, that brings us into um, looking at grassland management, uh, looking at a very targeted approach to, to, the, to the wormer usage. So it's actually, it's very like um, uh, antibiotics. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I, I think the wormers are a very important product in my system, they, but they need to work when they work. There's resistance there in parasites, so the more times we use them, the more unlikely, sorry, the more likely they are to not work. Um, so when we do actually have sick animals, they're not going to work for us. So we, we need to protect those products to start with. Um, but we also need to protect the biodiversity because, as I mentioned, they kill dung beetles. Yeah. Uh, dung beetles are the lower end of the food chain. So one in four um, uh, animals or creatures on, on this planet is, uh, is a dung beetle, or is a beetle, I should say. So quite a large number of those are dung beetles. So when you're knocking that, that, the populations of those species out of it and they're the bottom of the food chain, for a lot of a lot of creatures, uh, you have a knock-on effect then with birds, bats, yeah. badgers, uh, foxes. Um, trying to think what other creatures eat them, but those those ones are, are the obvious ones that come yeah, to mind. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, they have an uh, you're having a knock-on effect then. So if you think of it, look at it a different way. If you have a conventional system that is producing a lot of healthy dung bats. So you're, you're stocked higher, you have loads of healthy dung pats full of dung beetles. Think of the positive effect that that can have on ecology. Um, so it's more bird food, but it's also, it's also utilising the dung, taking it down, yeah. it's breaking the dung up, it's yeah, taking it well down to the soil. That's correct, so that's, that's the, the other advantage. So yeah, the, um, the dung pat is, is a breeding ground for these parasites, but it's also, it's full of nitrogen, phosphorus and potassium but it's sitting on top of the soil, on top of the grass. Like we know the grass grows from the roots. Yep. So you need to have that broken down into the soil. So what the dung beetles do, so yeah, they, they do bury it into the soil, but that's, that's actually, that's a, a small percentage of the dung actually goes that way. What dung beetles actually do is they drink the dung pats. Because right. mm. they're, they're mostly liquid. Right. Um, okay. So they drink the dung pats and um, they get it to a point that it dehydrates and that, leaves it hard for the parasites to migrate out onto the grassland because they're aquatic. So you don't get this wave of parasites coming out onto grassland. And also in drying it, it makes it more attractive for other insects to come into it. And the, the farmer's best friend is the earthworm. Right. So uh, earthworm won't come into a fresh dung pat. It'll come into one that's half dried. So if you go out to a field and start digging under a dung pat that is looks like it's half dried out um, you'll find you'll find it full of earthworms in underneath um, so the earthworms actually do the burrowing yes there are dung beetles that burrow into the soil but the earthworms are actually the, they're the, the ones that ultimately bring it into the soil so is that mainly the epigeic surface dwellers sorry sorry is that mainly the epi, epigeic you know surface dwelling of the wee worms that you yes yeah or, yeah on the deep earthworms yeah yeah, yeah 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 they do they do too yeah, yeah, um, but then you do get the geo, the big geotropies. They do they do burrow it into the soil. They can go down to a meter deep. Yeah. Um, and when I was travelling researching the dung beetles in Tasmania, actually in a conventional system, um, so I went out to this this monoculture ryegrass field, mm. typical of what you'd see in, in Tipperary in mm. Ireland. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, went out to this pasture that had been skinned out with two hundred cows three days before I was there. I could see it was, it was definitely three days because I could see the leader shoot coming up on the, the perennial ryegrass. There was no dung pats left in the field. Three days later. 
Uh, now they were artificially introducing dung beetles, but it was it was unbelievable. You go to where there was evidence of of a dung pat, and all you saw was these holes as, as, as thick as your thumb in the ground where they had all burrowed into the soil. Um, so you know what that is doing for the soil, what it's doing for animal health, and what it's doing for grass growth. Yeah, and also it's saving you inputs. Yeah, oh, big time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That that's a big driver, I think, at the moment for uh, night. Um, nutrient retention um, is is the cost of inputs at the moment. Um, you know you can't be losing nitri- nitrates to, to waterways. You know, it's, apart from the environmental end of it, the, the financial end of, of losing those is is uh, is, a, is you know it's the difference between making and losing money. But when we're talking about this, we're often talking about twinning these objectives. So reducing your costs. If that comes with an environmental gain, that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, win for everyone. Win for everybody. Yeah, it? yeah, yeah, yeah. Now look, it does get complex because you know it, it brings a whole new management side to on, onto farmers. To be perfectly honest, the bottle is much cheaper yeah. than the management. And simpler. Yeah, it's it much simpler. You go into your yeah, you go into your trade, your your local trade merchant, and you buy your bottle of stuff and put it on on your your, your calves, and it's job done. No more to worry about. Um, whereas you're going to have a weighing scale, you're weighing animals, you're sending off uh, poo samples to a lab to get it checked, you're figuring out which animals need to be done, uh, you're figuring out which product you use last. Um, you know, there's a, a whole new aspect to it. Um, but at the same time, you're more resilient. Oh, yeah. Because the, yeah. the, the Ukraine war, of course, that, that puff, pushed prices up massively. Yeah. Preferred. Yeah, yeah, it did. Yeah, it's. it's uh, yeah, it's, it's an eye-opener now, to be honest. Um, yeah, I, I think it has really shifted the focus, it's really accelerated the focus on nitrate reduction mm-hmm. on farms. Um, you know, because we, 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 we can all agree that what we're, we've be, we have been at is, is, uh, has to change. Yeah. Um, so it's, uh, it's bringing, a, bringing a whole new level of complexity to it, but it's, it's exciting at the same time. One final question. Are you into herbal lays? Have you been changing your grassland mixes? Yeah, we have. We've been using herbal lays and very excited about them. Um, they're bringing a new, uh, a new layer of... Um, Further complexity. Uh, well, uh, yeah, but uh, I, I would say appreciation. Right. Uh, yeah, but yeah, they are a little bit more, more complex. Um, but yeah, look, we, we have been just sowing chicory into our perennial ryegrasses mixes for quite a number of years. But we've gone full herbal days now. We are, um, we're at that now. I think it's three years we made a commitment that any reseeding we're doing is a herbal day from now on. And in terms of establishing the herbal days, are you doing conventional plough? No. Or no, actually, I used, to, I used to do a bit of contract working at home and I had a plough and sold it. And we've got, we went from that to a min-till system, but now we've gone to a no-till slot seeder. I have a contractor coming in and doing that, and I'm loving it. So that yeah. just cuts a slot in the in the top of the pasture, and yeah. the gets... Yeah, just 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 barely, yeah, a, yeah a bit of a scratch into it with, with, a, with a disc slot. So it's got yeah. contact with the soil, but you're yeah. not you're not actually turning that soil. You're not, you're not disturbing so the soil. Yeah. yeah. So you're not disturbing the worms. You're not disturbing anything. Correct. Yeah. Now initially, I, I we changed from the plough. I'd like to say it was 100% for environmental reasons, but I'd say we're probably 60% environmental. And 40% because our soil is riddled with stones 
and um, there was a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, so I'm, I'm getting a little bit older and uh, finding it harder to get help to pick stones. So, um, yeah, but no, we won't go back to the plough anyway. No, no way. Yeah, yeah. And, Bruce, thank you very much for your time. That, that, that's a fantastic summary. And it's great to hear in the regen sphere, there's someone actually doing something which is actually very conventional, but really picking up on some of these other, yeah, other yeah. interest areas which people are, are talking about. So it's fantastic. Thank, thank you, you very much. much Cheers. Cheers. Based on my observations now on sort of monitoring well over 150 farms across the okay, UK, yeah. I can pretty categorically say that um, most of those farms, if not all of those farms, have poor soil health. Right. Um, and essentially, that is acting as a drag on productivity, fundamentally. Okay. Right. So with beef and sheep, it's acting as a drag on stocking rates, for example. And with dairy specifically, it's more pushing up the cost of production, increasing the need for cake, increasing housing periods. But essentially, soil is an untapped resource, it's an untapped potential. Whether you're light soil, heavy soil, upland, lowland, basically, with the soils that they're in, in the, in the current state, basically compacted soils, all soils are compacted. Mm. That is my sort of like, like direct experience. That means that in the winter they manage wet, mm -hmm. Yep, so you've got all the issues with poaching and long housing periods, and in the summer they burn off. Right. So it's the worst of both worlds. If you get into soil health, delivering soil health on your farm turns, turns that on its head into the, into the best of both worlds. It's having your cake and eating it, basically. Mm. So it means it doesn't lie wet in the winter, so it doesn't manage wet or behave wet in the winter, and in the summer it carries on growing grass even when it gets hot. It, in fact, it grows more grass when it gets hot. So what do you do? Well, I advise and I train farmers and landowners in adopting regenerative practices. So what is it about soils that is your particular... What are you, what are you trying to get people to think about? Essentially, I've got a, kind of got like a sort of four-part plan, if you yeah, like. So yeah. it's a kind of like sort of fix-your-soil kind of triage. Um, and it, you know, it'll be sort of... You know, sort of context specific, you know, there are different options. You've got more wiggle room, for example, with like native beef than you have for commercial uh, lamb, for example, as opposed to dairy. Mm -hmm. But in all contexts, we want to put uh, great well, management at the top of the list. Yeah. Because that's the one thing that, that like acts on your land every day of every week that you're out grazing, basically. So management is at the top of the list. Mm -hmm. And then under that, we'd have mechanical, mineral, and biological interventions. Right. Yeah. And essentially, the more that you can bring those different interventions to bear in a sort of complementary fashion, the more that you're going to boost up best practice management. So essentially, implementing a rotational grazing practice that suits the stock classes that you're working with. Mm -hmm. So obviously, milkers are very different from like native beef, for example, yeah, yeah. there's two different ranges there. So essentially push the grazing envelope as far as you can whilst maintaining um, animal performance that's in range. Yeah. Yeah. And then once that's in place, we can then use the mechanical, the mineral and the biological to kind of boost that up, right. fast track those changes. And essentially relieving compaction with subsoilers, airworks, roller slitters, use of gypsum to like flocculate your soils, 
you know, open up that sort of sort of molecular sort of c compaction, if you like. So working from the middle out, working from the bottom up, and working from the top down with roots, basically. Yep. All of that will deliver better rainfall use efficiency. And the one thing that correlates closest with grass production in the UK is rain. Right. Yep. But right now we're in a situation where 80% maybe it depends, but I reckon we're at about 20% use efficiency with rainfall. So this is why grass production just goes up and down like a yo-yo. And also we've got major threats in the southeast at the moment with lack of rainfall. Absolutely. So if we're not utilising that water, then we have the problem. Absolutely. And guess what? The rain is free. Yeah. Yeah. The sun and the rain, they're free. They're the one things that people aren't bagging up yeah. and selling back to us at elevated input prices, basically. So every unit of water that you capture on your soil, particularly in the east and the south, but actually it's as far north as York at least, mm. Mm. probably further, that they're still in a sort of rainfall deficit, basically. You know, it's not necessarily a north-south thing, but it's definitely an east-west mm. thing. You know, you know, once you're fully burnt off, then you can talk as much as you like about high-performance um, ryegrass species, basically, but you can't just divide zero no. by any number, basically. No. And you can guarantee that in all those cases, nitrogen was applied after first-cut silage. Was there any growth response last year? No because we had sort of no soil moisture, yeah? Fundamentally, you can grow a crop without N, but you ain't growing one without water, mm. yeah? And now we've moved into a situation where water is unpredictable, rainfall is unpredictable, it's sporadic, it's infrequent, and it's coming in more intense bursts, basically. So back in the day, we had April showers, mm. yeah? That type of rainfall essentially like half an inch or so, yeah, yeah. twice a day <clears throat> yeah. for three weeks with a nice spacing in between, basically. That'll re-wet any soil. Yeah. That is now a thing of the past, basically. Mm. So if you look at this spring, you know, like nightmare March and early April, everywhere's totally underwater, basically. Yep. And then, you know, so that's the nightmare with all the poaching, all the rest of it, basically. And everyone's like, oh, God, do you know what I mean? You know, let's, can this be over, basically? And then it sort of switches straight into like a drought, basically. Yeah. But if you look at the grass growth that's reported through uh, AHDB's Forage for Knowledge, we see grass growth ramping up really quickly out of that spring to about 100 kilos a day, which is excellent. Yeah. That's, you know, top level, basically. And that's about sort of mid-May. Three weeks later, it has gone down to nearly 40 kilos. It's gone down by 60% or 50-something percent, basically, within three weeks, yeah? Even though we're coming off the back of a really wet March, basically. So all that water that lay on your land and made it a nightmare for actually managing at that point, that was all sitting on the surface. Yeah, it's all gone. It's all gone. Yeah. So that is growth that is lost. That is a hole in the feed budget that's got to be made up with, fingers crossed for third and fourth cut, for example, or hard feed or just bought in forage, you know. The one thing that we're not short of here is the potential to grow grass, basically. However, in these sort of like short drought periods, what is, this, what is the weather actually like for everybody else that isn't a farmer? Mm. It's hot and it's dry, yeah. This is like somebody basically throwing a greenhouse over your farm and shifting it two degrees further south of latitude 
into the Mediterranean period, it, like space basically, for free, yeah? And that, in those situations, you should be growing the most grass because you've got the cloudless skies for the solar gain and you've got the heat, yeah? Universe, one of the few universal truths in agriculture is that covered growing out yields field grown crops, mm -hmm. yeah? So essentially heat and sun grow better than anything out of a bag. And guess what? It's free, yeah? So long as water is not a limiting factor. So essentially, your job as a grazing farmer is to, is to capture every single millimetre of water that like, falls on your land, yeah? Because that will translate more closely to dry matter production than anything else, and again, it's totally free. I hope you have a fantastic conference. That was a brilliant summer. Thank you very much. So this year's Carbon Calling was the second one I've been to. Both years, really inspirational, some fantastic people, such a warm conference with people sharing ideas freely, uh, a real buzz about this space. And yeah, we feel as though there's, there's, there's some really good things to be gained from nature by farmers talking about nature positively on their farms and how they can manage soils, but within a productive system. I think this is a really great way forward. Thanks very much for listening. I hope you can catch up with the next special edition of Tree Amble Podcast. You've been listening to the Tree Amble Podcast, written and produced by myself, Pete Leeson. My special thanks go to Pete Ord for his awesome production and mixing skills. And actually, Pete and Pete, both of us, we wrote the music, so thanks very much to Pete for his input there. The recording was on location with mixing and production at the studio at Sunbeams, part of the Annie Mawson Sunbeams Music Trust. Thanks also to all those lovely people who were interviewed, Simon Wakefield for the artwork, and my special thanks go to those who gave me the confidence and support to make this happen. Angela, Anne, Catherine, Tim, Tim, Kevin, Emma, Nick and Paul, thank you. Thank you.